0: Taking Care of Business, uh, The Wall Streeter of Jerusalem. It's a great passage. Um, and uh, hopefully, I mean, well, we're going to read it, and you're going to see why some people really struggle with the meaning of what this, this whole thing is. And as I said earlier, I just love those interactions when Jesus is talking. I mean, I, I love to read biographies because I like people. I love to, my favorite kind of reading is biographies. My favorite kind of things in the Bible are, are those passages that, you know, have the, the, the story of a person and and the interactions and especially with jesus and this is just one of those that you just i've pictured in my mind a number of times what this must have been like and i'm sure i'm not even close to being accurate but it's fun to think about so here he is we don't know this guy's name he's referred to in uh, you know i I don't know how you we have four gospels matthew mark luke and john we have three we call synoptic i mean you know bush can't say nuclear i can't say synoptic but but um We have what we call three synoptic gospels, and and that's more of a synopsis of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is a little different deal. John's more talking about the deity of Christ. But in the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, they each deal with, because each one of these writers wrote about life with Jesus from their perspective. And so sometimes you'll find some things that Matthew wrote about that Luke didn't write about and that Mark didn't write about and vice versa and so forth and so on. As it happens, all three writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, wrote about this particular confrontation. So it must have been impacting to all of them. And, uh, and, and, and in fact, one of them talked about the fact that he was wealthy. One of the writers talked about the fact that he was uh, a ruler. And one of the writers talked about the fact that he was young. That's how we get the, the rich, young ruler. So we're going to look at the uh, Luke passage and uh, let's, just, let's just jump right into it, and let's just kind of follow, follow along here. We're in Luke chapter 18, we're going to begin in verse 18. A ruler questioned him, Jesus, saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good I'm, except God alone, and we, we believe Jesus here is trying to find if This guy really recognizes that he is God. And uh, verse 20, you know the commandments, this is Jesus talking. You know the commandments, don't commit adultery, don't murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. The man said, all these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor. And you shall have a treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad. He was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, and when Jesus saw this, he was very sorrowful. That's, that's an ad. One, one, one commentator says Jesus was very, the, the wording indicates that Jesus was very sorrowful as, as he watched this man walk away. I wanted to throw that in. But he says, how hard it is, this is Jesus, how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. What is that all about? then for a rich man to enter the kingdom of god they who heard it said then who can be saved or who can go into the kingdom of god but he said jesus says these things are impossible with people are possible with god this has been as you can imagine a, a, a particular passage of scripture and then It's one of the few passages of Scripture that people read and they say, oh, I'm not wealthy. (laughs) I'm not rich. Keep in mind, and I don't need to remind you of this, but uh, by standards of the rest of the world, there's not a poor person in here. Let's just make that clear, okay? Uh, There may be, you know, you may not have as much as somebody else or whatever, but don't try to do gymnastics with this passage and say, well... That, that's really, really super wealthy. You know? And then, and then and there's another thing. There's another thing people have said over the years. It was a legend, actually. I'll, I'll tell you that right now. They said, well, isn't there a gate that goes into Jerusalem? It's called the eye of the needle. And, and the only way that they can get through is by taking all the, pack, all the packs off the camel. And he has to get down on his knees and crawl through this gate. And it's a great story. And, it, and it's, a great, it's a great illustration. We don't really find anything historically like that. So, and, and plus the fact when Luke, who wrote this particular part, Luke Luke was a, uh, Luke was a doctor and his, and his writing. I mean, I'll tell you, Luke, I had three years of Greek, and by the time I got into that third year, I'm still having a hard time reading You go to John, John's a simple fisherman. He can write, you can understand the Greek. Luke's writing, and, and, and because he was such an educated man, was very complicated, and he uses the Greek word, sewing needle. It's not an allegory to him. He was using the, the term which was different than any, any other kind of needle. So anyway, all he's saying is it's, it's impossible for people, but it's possible with God. So don't try to you know, do some kind of gymnastics and say, well, what does that mean? It means that it's very difficult. Now, why is that? We're going to talk about that. Here's what I want to do. I, I got a couple things going on here. First of all, how did the guy miss the point? That's my series. How did he miss the point? How did he miss this point? What was the point? Was he supposed to give away all of his, sell his everything he's got and give it all away? Was that what he's supposed to do? But I think it's an interesting point because Jesus had many interactions with many people and many, many wealthy people. Later on in this very, in this very book of Luke, he, 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 he uh, interacts with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a very wealthy guy too. What did he tell him? He didn't tell him anything about that. In fact, Zacchaeus voluntarily volunteered said, I'm going to give half of everything I own to the poor, and anybody that I've cheated, I'm going to pay him back four times. He just, that was something he just wanted to do. Not all, he gave back half of everything that he had earned. Now, there may be some question about that, because you say, well, he was a tax gatherer, and maybe he was crooked, and maybe he had gotten some of his financial gain dishonestly. That's possible, too. But I just want you to understand, of all the wealthy people, and there were many that Jesus spoke with, there was only one, only one that he ever said this to, and that's the guy we're looking at today. So obviously, Jesus, who is God, knew what was going on in this guy's heart. He knew there's one thing you're hanging on to. Nobody else, whenever else they came, those others who came to Christ, their riches, what their hop, whatever it was, you know, they, get, they said, I, I don't care. I want to come to Christ. This guy was holding on to his wealth. That's why Jesus said this particular thing to him. So we need to see that. Because this guy, this guy was looking for a checklist. He checked everything. Like, I haven't done this. I haven't done this. I've done this. I've done this. He had not internalized this thing of understanding who God is and having a relationship with him. Not much different than a lot of people today. And, you know, I don't care who you are. You know, you say, well, this is... For wealthy people, I don't care who you are, you know, there's, there's some people here who can buy and sell me four or five times. It would be just as difficult for me to, th- to say and to, and to confront that whole thing, sell everything you have and give it all to the poor, as it would be for the guy who's got a lot more than me. I don't care who you are, this is for all of us. We need to understand that. So what is Jesus getting at here? I, I, call, it, I call it the thing, the thing about wealth. And how did the wealthy young ruler miss the point? How did he? So I got three or four things here just to think about. First one's a very simple point. Possessing wealth is a good thing. Possessing wealth is a good thing. That's the first statement I want to make. And I, and I, I mean, the Bible teaches that. Many of the great men of the Bible were, were, were men of wealth. Solomon, king. They, they say that the, the history says, not just the Bible, but history says, may have been the wealthiest man ever in history. And he had a love for Christ, a love for God, love for the coming Messiah, Christ. And you know, when he went off, when he sort of, to use the term, when he fell off the wagon, so to speak, was it his money that got in the way? No. You can read about it in the book of Kings, Second Kings. What was it? He, it was his wives. He had a bunch of them. Don't take that the wrong way, women. It wasn't the fact that they were women. It was what they, the fact that they also worshipped idols and uh he gave no regard for that. wasn't money. Abraham, great man of God. We know about him. Abraham had a, had a I love this part about Abraham. He had an army, his own trained army of like 340 trained soldiers. Wouldn't that be cool? Have enough money to have your own army? Just kind of keep them out there in the barn? Hey guys, just kind of take care of things for me. You know, anybody comes here, that, just take care of it. That'd be cool. I don't, I don't know what you do in Short Hills or Summit with an army, but you never know. Um, let me show you Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the best part of everything your land produces. Then he will fill your barns with grain, your vats will, will overflow with the finest wine. He doesn't condemn riches here. He says, honor God with what you have. So again, it's the heart, it's the attitude toward it. So possessing wealth is a good thing. Number two, being possessed by wealth is a terrible thing. This is... Let me show you this. This is a a guy who wrote this in the first century. His name, we know him in history as Pliny the Elder, one of the early church fathers. Lived from around 20 to 70 AD. And, And look what he says. The lust of avarice has so totally seized upon mankind that their wealth seems rather to possess them than they possess their wealth. That's a good statement. I might ask you that question this morning. Just think about it. Do you possess your wealth, or does it possess you? Say, how how would I know that? You know, I, I have a feeling. You know that as soon as I say that. But if you don't, think about some things. Just, I don't have a I don't have a test for you, but I can I can get you to just maybe think along some, maybe some areas. Maybe arrogance crops up. And arrogance of what you have and how you've made it, and how you've built your little kingdom. Nothing wrong with the kingdom. But is there arrogance toward those who haven't been as successful as you? Uh, maybe uh, maybe there's a preoccupation with uh, with uh, making more. Or was it the, the great famous quote that John D. Rockefeller said when in his heyday? How much money's enough? He said just a little more. Um, is your mood dependent upon the stock market? You say, does that mean that I, I'm not saying, I just, just some indications, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, certainly if you lose a lot of money in the stock market, I don't expect you to go around with a big smile on your face, but, uh, but what does it do to you? What does it do to you internally when those kind of things happen? So that's something really only you can determine, and, and I would encourage you to really give that some, some thought, and maybe even talk about it with someone who you love and are close to and can be very uh, open with. Being being possessed by wealth is a terrible thing. It really is. Third thing I want you to see about this thing about wealth. Possessing wealth is a good thing. Being possessed by wealth is a terrible thing. Following the rabbit trails of wealth is a pathetic thing. You say, what do you mean by that? What's the the pathetic rabbit trails of of wealth? What is that? See, back when Jesus said, back in Luke 18, Jesus looked at him and he said how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why, why is that? Is that true? I'll tell you why it's true. I believe it's true because it's in the Bible, but I believe, I'll, let me kind of work it out for you. When you have choices and something doesn't satisfy, you move on to something else. And we, all of us, in the society we live in, you know, we, we can all get something new. Oh, that's, that's great. And, and you know what? We know the new thing's not going to really settle, but it's a good thing for a while. Whether it be a new possession, whether it be a new relationship, whether that be, a, a, you know, a new job, new career, a new stock, whatever it happens to be. We, we, can, we get choices. When we have choices, we can put off the things that are really meaningful, that we really need to deal with. And we can fill our minds, and we have the, all these, we can fill our minds with, with, with music or with television, with entertainment, with relationships, with my business. You know, and I can just be on my email all day, and I'm talking to myself here. Uh, I, I can be on my email all day long, and I can do this and, and be studying this or do this and do that, instead of the time that we need sometimes to just stop and think. Just think. We don't have to do that because we have the ability to have choices. That's what he's talking about. It's not the wealth. Again, it's our attitude toward it, and it's the opportunities and the choices that it gives us. Those are good choices, by the way. I'm thankful for my iPod. Love my iPod. It's great. But if it's, it could be just another tool to keep me from having my brain empty for a moment from music and TV and movies and books and relationships and just think and just think about God. And we can do that, particularly when we live in a busy culture like we live in as well. So that's what he's talking about here. Let me show you the, uh, I've I've quoted this guy many times. Yeah, it's just a great quote. There is a God-created vacuum in the heart of every man, which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the creator made known through Jesus Christ. Really, really smart guy said that pascal and and, and it's so true but we can look in so many different places and ways and here and there and all the different rabbit trails that we can take to try to satisfy that god-created vacuum hopefully hopefully all those trails will eventually lead us to the point where we say that didn't work that didn't work that didn't work maybe it's god And that's the point here, okay? So, that thing about wealth, possessing wealth is a good thing. Being possessed by wealth is a terrible thing. Following the rabbit trails of wealth is a pathetic thing. And last thing is this, attitudes toward wealth is the determining factor. I think you probably knew this is where I was headed. Attitudes toward wealth is the determining thing. What are some of the attitudes that the Bible warns us about that we should not have or attitudes that we might have that would be unhealthy about wealth? I'll tell you, some people would say that wealth is a protector. It's a protector to them. Proverbs says it this way, The rich think of their wealth as an impregnable defense. They imagine it as a high wall of safety. And of course the the implication is that it's not. And and I, I think we most of us, if we really think hard and really just really, you know, really bust through that, we realize that retirement, you know, with all the stuff we've seen in the in the news as the film club so well portrayed, our wealth can be gone in a moment. You know, yeah, I I've been reading because of the Enron thing, I've been reading all some of the stories of people. And what you know, I'm just talking about Average people, everyday people who were retiring who had all their, their stock tied up and Enron and so forth. And I tell you, it's a, it's a frightening thing. And you can say, wow, they thought that was going to be their, their impregnable defense. And they, don't have, they have nothing. Just average Joe is losing you know, their whole retirement. It's a pretty serious deal. Point is this wealth is not a protector doesn't mean we shouldn't plan. doesn't mean we shouldn't try to, to build what we can and, and, and have what we can for retirement or whatever. doesn't mean we shouldn't do those things. But our attitude is it, we, can't, we can't look at it as a protector. We do the best we can, but it's not a protector. Only God's a protector. Uh, another attitude we have to watch, that more will make us happier. Any more. We used to have a saying in Vail. I lived, for those of you who don't know, I lived in Vail for 18 years and uh, pastored a church there, and uh, 17, 17, 18 years. And... Um, we used to have a saying, you can never lose too much weight, you can never get too much money, and you can never have too much snow. And um, pretty much the way a lot of folks live, um, obviously more will not make you happier. Solomon, richest guy in the world, look what he says, those who think money will never bring enough, excuse me, those who, th- those who love money will never have enough, how absurd to think that wealth brings true happiness. Solomon wrote that, those who love money will never have enough. How absurd to think that wealth brings true happiness. Seneca, great Roman philosopher, politician, look what he said. For many men, the acquisition of wealth does not end their troubles. It only changes them. It's a good statement. <laughs> That's a great statement, isn't it? <laughs> I remember the first time I sat down when I was very, I was just young in the ministry and First guy I ever met that really had what I considered at that time a lot of money, and I don't know how much he had, but at the time I thought he was very wealthy. I have since known a lot of people who could buy and sell him four or five times, but I thought he had a lot of money. Okay, and uh, and, he, and he, I said, how do you how do you handle this? And he's like, the problems are all the same; they're just a little different. You know, I'll never forget that, and for him it was. The acquisition of wealth does not end the, their troubles, it only changes them. Yeah, the other attitude that we have to be careful of is that money can deceive you. Money can deceive you. Um, here's a guy out of the past. It's a good statement, whether you like this guy or not, Galbraith. Wealth, even in the most improbable cases, manages to convey the aspect of intelligence. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I mean, you see a wealthy person, well, he must be smart. <laughs> maybe, it's, maybe it's just dumb luck, you know? Maybe he just got lucky. Maybe he's got a particular kind of talent that happens to get paid a lot of money to do what he does. Some people, a lot of people are very talented, and they just happen to be in the kind of profession that pays a lot of money for that particular talent. You know? So, uh, that's, I just, that was, it, it can be deceiving. Let me show you what Timothy says. First Timothy, but people who long to be rich, now be careful what, how you read this. People who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Watch it again. For the love of money, again, it's not having it, it's the love of money is at the root of all kinds of evil and some people craving money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many sorrows. That's a great passage because, again, it doesn't say anything about having it. It talks about those who long to be rich and the love of money. So, again, that's, that's, you know, I, I don't want you going home and clicking on your asset chart and saying, what am I worth? The real, I mean, you can do if you want to. But, but the real question really is, what is my attitude toward that? And it can be deceiving. It can be very deceiving. All right. Four things. Possessing wealth is a good thing. Being possessed by wealth is a terrible thing. Following the rabbit trails of wealth is a pathetic thing. And your attitude toward wealth is the, the determining thing. So let me, let me end with this. I want to stop with this last thing. And, um, and then we're going to have a song that I think just kind of puts this all together for us. What does the Bible specifically say to the wealthy? That's what we need to deal with. Because the Bible has many things to say to the wealthy. And it, by the way, it tells us to plan the Bible tells us to to give the bible tells us to to uh, to give to the poor it tells us to to you know save an inheritance I mean the whole thing i mean all that all that 's financial planning we have a whole series of uh, of uh, of talks about that that rob king our our board chairman did a, a year a couple of years ago. We have that on c d You can uh, email the office and get that if you 'd like it it 's very very good. Well, what does the Bible say, just in a nutshell here, what, is the, what does the Bible say specifically to the wealthy? Does the Bible say that if you have a lot of money, you're supposed to give it all away, you're supposed to sell everything? Does the Bible say that? No, it doesn't say that. Again, this particular passage, this guy had a problem. Jesus knew it, and he went right to the heart of the problem. But the Bible doesn't say anywhere else, anywhere else, all the New Testament, that everybody should sell everything they got and give all their all their. Benef- benefits and bonuses to the poor. It doesn't say that anywhere from this one passage that we just looked at with this one particular guy. Okay, let's go back to Timothy because this is, uh, well, you'll see. It, it, this is it right here. Timothy chapter six, beginning in verse 17. Follow along. Tell those who are rich. Tells us this. Here you are. Here we are. Tell those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone. We know that. It's going to go or we're going to go, you know, one or the other. But their trust should be in the living God who richly blesses us all. You know, their trust should be in the living God who richly blesses us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and should give generously to those in need, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. By doing this, by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of real life. There you go. Cliff Notes version right there from the Bible. Just a, just a, a few verses that tell you, here, here's what you do. Pretty simple, really. Trust God. Bless others with how you've been blessed. And doing that, store up the treasure, that, that's a good foundation uh, for the future. So you may take hold of real life. Isn't that a great verse? A couple of verses. Let's pray. This is something we need to pray about. Ask God to work in our hearts. I'm going to have to ask the band and Julie to come up and do a song for us. God, we are, this is a tough issue for all of us. Some of us in here have got a lot of money. Some of us on here may not think we have a lot, but we are in, certainly when we compare ourselves to the rest of the world. Wherever we are, rich or poor or in the middle, I would ask you, God, to give us the right attitude toward our wealth. Help us to recognize it is from you, and to be grateful. And help us also, God, to recognize that that we share. And we thank you for the blessing that you give us, and we, we share because it's part of who we are. It's our offering, our lives, everything about our lives. We pray that, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.